thought Evan did a really good job in, in tying together uh, the important points about faith and righteousness and, and how they are linked together. And, and really, when I, when I was preparing for this and thinking about it, you know, why, why is it important for us to study things like this uh, and, and to, to, sh to show how uh, tied together things like faith and, and righteousness are? And, and, you know, is there even a point in, in showing the differences uh, between what the, the Scriptures teach and a, and a lot of what uh, people of the world may believe or do believe? And, and I think that it is. You know, I, I grew up, you know, in the church uh, and, and I'm accustomed to hearing the things that Evan was saying, been hearing that my whole life. Uh, and, and I've always, it's always made sense to me, this idea of, of not being able to pull apart uh, faith and obedience or, or righteousness, that, that you can't pull those things apart. And I think that's one reason, at least in my mind, why it's important for us to, to look at those differences to remind ourselves that you can't pull that apart. Because um, in various ways, that is what other uh, doctrines and, and teachings attempt to do. And, and it's important for us to remind ourselves that that's really not uh, the way God describes it. And, and that's what we see uh, in in the scriptures and that's going to be some more of what we're looking at uh, this morning but I, I just wanted us to to realize and, and think about that it's important for us to remind ourselves of these things in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 uh, verse 14 uh, this is picking up in the middle of a thought but uh, here Paul tells Timothy to remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good to the ruin of the hearers but to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who just has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth uh, and so as you continue reading there we see Paul again saying you know uh, not to quarrel over, over things that don't matter, basically. He calls them irrelevant babble uh, that will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Uh, and their talk will spread like gangrene uh, among those, or Hymenus and Philetus, who've swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are only not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honor, of honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And so, you know, here we see again Paul saying to remind, uh, telling Timothy to remind those where he's preaching of these things. Uh, remind them that there is action involved with our faith is basically what is being said there, that, um, you know, action is required. Uh, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. That speaks to what Evan was saying about repentance, uh, that this idea of departing, turning, going away from what is wrong towards what is right uh, is is a, a huge part of what belief and faith in God is. And, and those things can't be pulled apart or, or shouldn't be pulled apart. Um, same thing in Second Peter. 
Uh, if you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, uh, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. You will never fall, excuse me. For in this way there will be for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into eternal, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. And so here's the same thing that Paul was telling Timothy Peter is doing to those he's writing to, reminding them, calling to attention so that they, they remember these things that God wants them and us to be doing. Uh, and so that's why I think it's important to, to, to talk about uh, things like this and, and to remind ourselves how closely linked uh, faith and righteousness are, uh, along with belief and works and obedience. Mark? I was going to say you're making a great point because what's, what goes on, like you you inherently know if you want to destroy something that's part of a structure, it's way easier to tear it up piece by piece. You know, you separate those pieces and then you can destroy this piece over here once it's standing or alone. Right. And the purpose that we see of a lot of the, even the religious world, to destroy righteousness, let's separate it from these things. You know, let's separate it from faith. Let's separate, you know, let's separate these things and then go about destroying them. You know, when when you want to take accountability out of it, right, what right. you do, you start taking the pieces apart because you can't attack the whole effectively. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think, when you actually try to understand what are the purposes of the enemies of the truth? You know, why, 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 are, why are they trying to separate these pieces? You know, us knowing the strategies of the devil or the enemy in these things helps, and to study these things helps to see how, you know, the, maintaining the integrity of the structure is so important. Because right. all those things tied together are so strong, but once separated, they're much easier to attack. Right, and it's not a... You know, just in my limited experience, and, and a lot of you, uh, you know, I would say have more experience uh, in talking to other folks uh, with different religious backgrounds and other beliefs uh, than I do. I've, I've been trying to work on that and, and work towards that uh, in the last year or so and, and talking with more people about those things. And as I, as I have done that, uh, in the, the limited times I've done that, you know, I've discovered there are a lot of different beliefs and teachings out there that do result in these things being pulled apart. You know, and and it and it's um, 
you know, at least the folks I talk to a lot of times, I wouldn't say is necessarily out of mischievous desires. They're not doing that to be bad in a sense or to try to tear things down. At least in my experience, a lot of it is I feel like they just haven't taken the time and haven't put together all of the pieces. Uh, and so it's important for us to be grounded in this and have a good understanding so we can, out of love, talk with them about that and help them to see how these things are linked in God's scriptures and the importance of, link, of keeping them linked. They're victims of those that have sought to separate those things and if you see them as that you may approach them in a better way. Right. Mm-hmm. Stephen? It's almost, in, in a way, it's a worldly way of thinking. If, if any of y'all have ever heard of the term compartmentalization, in a lot of corporations what they'll do when they're making a product like a car or something like that they have departments that specialize in one aspect of the car but there's typically not no one person that knows how it all necessarily comes together no one person is an expert in every aspect of that operation and so the world in many ways functions in that way because it's more convenient to get the product out and things like that but when you try to apply that to the scripture not that people are applying that per se, but I think one of the ways that it manifests is, for example, when you talk to somebody about how to be saved, and they focus solely on a passage like Romans 10, and say, well, if you believe, then you'll be saved. That's what it says. You know, but, but we, as Christians, need to be focusing on the big picture. And right. And helping, helping them to understand the big thing that God is saying. And because of that, because God has revealed that to us, He's revealed that big picture to us. Um, I think, you know, what you brought up out of uh, Second Second Peter here is very applicable. Why Why was Peter trying to remind them of this? They were established in it. They know it. Well, we need to know it. Right. We need to know it so much so that, I mean, for example, if we're able to tell a story to our children that just wows them, just, you know, spellbinds them. What's that story about? Are we able to, with the same vigor, with the same enthusiasm, tell them the story of Job? Tell them the story of, you know, Jacob and Esau. Um, are those stories part of what we're enthusiastically sharing? Right. Right. You know, and uh, again, just in my limited conversations with folks, you know, when we have our study at the Pines uh, and and folks that I interact with on a daily basis uh, through work and friendships and those kind of things, um, you know, the 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 doctrine or idea or teaching of predestination has come up. Uh, this idea of once you're saved, you've always been saved. Uh, nobody can pluck you out from that or take you away from that. Uh, and this idea of I'm a depraved sinner, you know, this idea of depravity that goes along with uh, Calvinism and, and those type things, you know, have all popped up just in my conversations. And, and again, it's not uh, anything necessarily, I believe, it out of, out of malice. I think it's mostly that folks just haven't sitting down and taken the time to put those pieces together. And I can understand that, uh, you know, considering... Uh, their lives and the, and the things they've been exposed to. And I can even understand where it comes from when you think about passages like uh, Romans chapter 3, 9 through 11. You know, you've, it says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. 
As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside, and they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. And on and on. So you've got, you've got this passage uh, basically saying there is none righteous versus what we looked at in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 4, says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. And whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And for this purpose the Son of Man was manifested, that he may destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does no sin, for he, his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born. And so you've got these, these passages in Romans saying there's nobody righteous, and then you've got John saying in, in 1 John here that anybody who sins is committing lawlessness. And, and if, you, if you sin, uh, you know, if you're not practicing righteousness, uh, then you're not being pleasing to God. And so you've got none righteous, and, and then John's saying that you've got to be practicing righteousness. And so things like this have to be reconciled and put together. And like Stephen was saying, you've got to be able to paint the big picture and show the big picture, and we have to understand the big picture of how all this works together. And that's, that's uh, you know, what we've been trying to do this morning. Uh, the better grasp and understanding we have of this and the better we're able to, to relay this message in a humble way and, and in a, uh, you know, speaking the truth in love like we're supposed to, to our friends and our family and our neighbors and those that we interact with from day to day, the more pleasing we'll be to God and the more souls uh, we make it lead to Him and to salvation. So I just wanted to start with that and, and really I think sometimes we, we get in the mindset that, um, you know, I guess all the Church of Christ wants to do is beat other religions up, when, and that's not at all what we're trying to do today. Uh, I really should never be trying to beat them up. We should be trying to show the truth. Stephen. Uh, maybe I've brought this up more recently, but I, I, I find it a problem sometimes. I find myself in the same situation sometimes where I begin to look at people out in the world, people who never have had the gospel, maybe even with more with, with more of a looking down at them, you know, mm-hmm. and being less patient with them than I should be, when in reality, you know, I, the picture that the, that, that the scriptures paint for me is that there's a sense where we, you know, we hold our brethren to a higher standard, right? Right. Whereas it almost seems like we get that mixed up. We, we start to talk all the time about how wicked the world is, but maybe we're not actually, you know, encouraging our brethren and building our brethren up in the way that we should and, mm-hmm. and just, you know, ignoring certain things here and there. Um, I think if we have the proper kind of compassion on the lost like Jesus had, then that's going to help solve a lot of issues for us, you know, because we're, we're going to want them to know, and we're not just going to... Right. And we can't expect them, for example, to have 
the same level of commitment. We can't expect them to act in a certain way. You know, someone who comes in here is who's dressed immodestly. We can't expect them to have that same level because they're not there. Right. Mm -hmm. So we've got to be willing to understand that while we try to teach them. Right, and work towards that. And really all of this is based out of having a proper love and having the same love that we see Jesus having for mankind. Uh, uh, and same thing we see the apostles having. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, <clears throat> starting in verse 6. And I want us just to notice, you know, what is Paul's motivation? I think we can all say we see Jesus' motivation throughout the Gospels of teaching others. Uh, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 6, it says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. And so verse 11, uh, really 10 and 11, this idea of we're all going to be judged, and then verse 11 Paul saying, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. You know, we understand who God is and that He's a just God and that He's a God that is to be revered. He's to, we're to have this, this healthy fear of Him, uh, that He is our master, our creator. Uh, we're to understand that He loves us and we're to love Him. But again, that's Paul's motivation. He knows this about God. And so he knows how important it is to try to bring others to God who do not know God. And, and that needs to be our same uh, motivation. And so let's get in. That was a, let's see, an introduction that took up most of my class. But uh, let's get into a little bit of looking at, at righteousness some more uh, and adding to some of what Evan said. When you look up a definition of righteousness uh, in vines, you'll see the definition defined as a character or quality of being just alright so again we can tie that to God very easily you know we, God is righteous we're gonna look at some passages that tell us that uh, same thing for us if we're to be righteous it's the character or quality of being just uh, if you look it up in Webster's uh, the definition of righteousness you'll get acting in accord with divine or moral law uh, so that's doing the things that, that are commanded or following the laws that are given. And then also free from guilt or sin. So righteousness includes this idea of being free from guilt or sin. If, if you have guilt because of sin, if you have sin uh, that is not forgiven sin, if you have, have sin, then you have guilt and you are not righteous in that state. You know, righteousness carries with it this definition of being free from guilt of sin. And we understand that God is righteous uh, and that He has made a way for us to be righteous too. We're told in the Scriptures uh, that, you know, again, we read in Romans, none are righteous. We've, we're told that we're going to sin, that sin's going to happen, but He's given us a way uh, to have forgiveness of that. Uh, and so that's a wonderful thing for us. We're also told and shown through Scriptures that this way that He's given us is a particular way. It's a certain way. It's not just any way. And that's, that's really what a lot of uh, Evan's uh, lesson was focused on, that it's not just faith. 
that is what gives us salvation. It's this active living faith that requires obedience and requires us uh, doing the things that we're told to do, requires us practicing righteousness, like uh, John says. And I feel like the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, paint a good picture of this righteousness, the righteousness of God and how man can be righteousness and what that looks like. And so I wanted to just look at a little bit of that. Uh, Psalms chapter 11 in verse 7, this is talking about the Lord. Uh, it says, For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, and the upright shall behold his face. And so, again, just establishing the fact you know, that we all know the Lord is righteous, he is just, he is holy, he is righteous, uh, and that he loves righteous deeds. Uh, and so when you start talking about righteous deeds, you're getting into the realm of what are we doing. That's what that's talking about there. Psalms 15, Evan read, I believe, a verse or two from Psalms 15. You read one and two? Uh, I wanted to read really most of it. I had, uh, before I had looked at Evan's lesson, really, I think before I'd looked at it at all, I had already had this passage in mind just because I've been reading the Psalms lately and several of them kind of popped up into my mind that go along with this topic. But uh, Psalms 15, let's just read that and, and think about what are we painting here? We're painting a picture. We're looking at a picture of what righteousness is. It says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle and who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil with, to his neighbor, nor does he take up reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. But he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. And so here... Is, is again just kind of a snapshot of some things that righteousness is. You know, this is, these are doing these things is equated to answering the question about who can abide in your tabernacle or who can dwell on your holy hill. And, and we have a description here of some things that righteous people do. Uh, walks uprightly, works righteousness, speaks the truth, doesn't backbite, does no evil, not a reproach. Uh, do, you know, one who does despise a vile person honors those who fear the Lord, swears to his own hurt, doesn't charge usury, uh, does no bribe against the innocent. It says he shall not be moved is, is the end of that psalm. Uh, and this paints a picture to me um, of living for righteousness, of practicing righteousness. These are the type things that we're talking about when we talk about being righteous. Flip over to Psalms 18. Psalms 18, starting in verse 20 says, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hand, to the cleanness of my hands he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed to me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, in his sight. With the merciful you will show yourself merciful, and with the blameless man you will show yourself blameless. With the pure you will show yourself pure, and with the devious you will so show yourself shrewd. For you will save the humble people and will bring down the haughty looks. 
Okay, and so here again, we see this idea of righteousness being tied to our actions. It's not just through having faith. Uh, it's not just through believing in God. It's got to do with our actions. And, and this is an Old Testament snapshot of that. But the, the same, you know, we'll see carries on into the New Testament. Think about righteous people in the Old Testament. Who are some righteous people that pop up in your mind when you say, you know, who does the Old Testament stories put forth as being righteous? We talked about Abraham, so you can't use him. Who else? Joseph, I had that one. We, you know, that pops into my head instantly as a man who is righteous. Who else? Noah. Noah? David. David? Yeah. Even though he had uh, some pretty blatant, we would say, terrible sins, uh, still spoken of as righteous. Because why? Because he dealt with that sin, repented of that sin, and practiced righteousness. That's interesting. What you just referenced from. Uh, Psalm 18 there is written by David and yet he had a lot of blood on his hands right. he had done mm-hmm. a lot of bad things but he was talking about in this instance and specifically if the if the uh, heading of the psalm is correct this is when he had been delivered from the hand of Saul in 2 Samuel 22 that in this case he had done no wrong against Saul Right. he had, he had done the right thing right. by Saul mm-hmm. and, and you know so I, I guess I say that to balance that, you know, he obviously didn't earn that righteousness necessarily. Right, right, yeah. And and I know, I mean, I could see where someone could take those passages and say, well, he, you know, was earning that righteousness. And that, I mean, again, you're plucking something out. If you take a whole lot of other verses and put the whole thing together, we understand, you know, no way, Jose. We're not earning uh, the salvation that we get. We're just doing what God says to do. Um, what about Job? Job comes to mind. He's basically God speaks to Satan as him as, "Hey, look at Job. He's my righteous servant." You know, and so you've got all these people that we've mentioned, all the people in Hebrews eleven. Uh, you know, all should come to our mind when we're thinking about what is righteousness. How are we righteous? You know, think about how were other people in the Bible who were defined by God as righteous? What did they do? And you'll see it involved action. It involved obedience. Uh, It, of course, involved belief in God or else, you know, the action and obedience would not have been there. Um, So it it takes both and it can't be pulled apart. Uh, All right. Um... So as we think about the New Testament, make sure I didn't skip something there. Yeah. When we think about the New Testament and faith and righteousness and how they all work together, uh, one thing that I didn't have in here that I thought of a minute ago was last night at my house. We were we, we were having a, our little family Bible study we have from time to time with the kids and uh, mainly with Colston. Uh, we've been reading through Mark like we do at the Pines, and, and we got to uh, the part about Jairus uh, and the story of Jairus. His daughter was sick, and then in the middle of that story, you've got the woman who had the issue of the flow of blood, and, and both times you can see their faith. Jesus talks about their faith. The woman with the flow of blood says, your faith had saved you. Uh, and, and we talked about, uh, you know, that it wasn't just that she believed that, 
that touching Jesus would heal her. She took the action to go and do that and, and tried to make those connections. And so that's what we're doing here is making those connections between faith and action, just like James does uh, in the book of James. You know, Hebrews 11 shows us uh, all of these people who had faith, puts them forward uh, as examples um, and people to consider their actions and look at what they were doing. Uh, Abraham's in there and a whole lot of other people. And, it, and, and we can easily see that link uh, that all of these people were doing things uh, and, and that their faith caused them to obey. They obeyed out of faith uh, and, and that that was something uh, that was good and right for them to do and for us to do. And again, you know, we hadn't, we've been talking about faith and righteousness uh, and really hadn't even read the most plain passage. I don't think you didn't even touch really on James much, did you? About, uh, I don't remember that. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's pretty plain. And we, we do this in the pines a lot of times with the folks there who have a very limited uh, knowledge a lot of times of, of the scriptures, just showing them the link between uh, faith and doing. You know, in James chapter 2 is a, a, a perfect place to go with that. Starting in verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things that are needed for the body, what does that profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Okay, and so that's what Hebrews 11, the people there, they're showing their faith by their works. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, verse 19, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered sacrifice offered Isaac, his son, on the altar. Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture says, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And so, you know, James makes it very plain there how the two are linked together. You know, they, they're not exclusive of each other. One is no good without the other. You know, works are no good without the faith. Faith is no good without the obedience, the works, the doing the things that, that we're supposed to do. And, and that's really the take-home message from today, you know, of what we're trying to say in Evan's lesson and in my lesson is, is that don't pull them apart. They've got to keep them together. Um, you mentioned Old Testament examples. The, the brightest example I can think of in the New Testament is the apostles after Pentecost and how you, know, you, read, you read that book, uh, the book of Acts, and there's even this moment before Jesus ascends, they're like, oh, are you going to restore the kingdom now? They still didn't get it. But after Pentecost, everything's operating on full cylinders. They're doing exactly what they need to be doing. Um, even with Peter, I mean, of course, yeah, in Galatians we hear of some, some point where he backslid a little bit in terms of, you know, Jews versus Gentiles. 
but even when he comes to learn the truth about that in Acts chapter 10, he does the right thing. Right. And I just I wanted to mention that. It's like, those are some fabulous examples. That we can right, right, that's right. And, and, and besides the examples, we have, you know, commandments from our Lord. Matthew 5 and verse 20, I believe Evan mentioned, our right, talking about our righteousness, and it must exceed that of the Pharisees. Uh, so again, seeing that we have to be righteous. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 30 through 34, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount's talking about... Uh, not worrying about your, your daily necessities, really. But what does Jesus say that worry equates to? He says, having little faith. It says, O ye of little faith, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what we're supposed to be seeking after. Uh, and again, what is the application of that? How do we seek after His righteousness? We study the scriptures. We see what His righteousness is, uh, what His uh, how he viewed people who he considered righteous, what they were doing, and we make that application in our lives uh, that you know righteousness uh, is uh, part of righteousness is doing the things that God says. Um, Romans chapter six. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 11, says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And so, again, present ourselves as instruments of righteousness to God. Uh, a, a requirement of us as, as Christians. Turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that, we, that he may redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one despise you. And so, again, the same thing, uh, this picture uh, of us denying ungodliness and worldly lusts and living soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the appearing of our Savior. And so, uh, you know, our call as Christians is to be practicing going after this righteousness, being righteous. Um, and, and I don't want, what happens a lot of times when you, when you push it this hard to our actions is you, you, uh, you'll hear it said sometimes, you know, well, you're earning your salvation or, or our righteousness comes through Christ. Please don't think that I'm saying that uh, our righteousness does not come through Christ. It comes through our actions. You know, the scriptures are also clear to that. That's the other piece of the puzzle. Those two things go together and can't be separated. We cannot be righteous. We could never be righteous in God's sight without 
the hope or without the blood of Christ and having the forgiveness of sins. That's how we become righteous is we can have forgiveness of our sins. Uh, we have uh, steps given to us for how to get that forgiveness of sins. Initially, through obeying the gospel, we have uh uh, steps and pictures shown to us of, of what to do if we sin after that point that we can become blameless again by asking for his forgiveness repenting of that sin turning back towards practicing righteousness turning away from that uh, iniquity and worldly uh, things and so again those two things have to stay together uh, you, you don't have one without the other alright I wanted to end by reading we got, I think, enough time. Turn to Revelation. There were several passages in Revelation uh, that I wanted to read. And just, just again, to look at, these were, I guess, encouraging passages to me in thinking about this topic. Revelation 19, starting in verse 1, says, And after this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God and all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, cry, peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine, lin fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God, and then I fell down at his feet to worship, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so verse 7 is what I wanted to key in on there, 7 and 8, about this idea of the bride, which is the church. And it, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. You know, so again, we can see these righteous things that we do are important. Revelation chapter 20, uh, verse 11 says, Then I saw a great and white throne, and him who was uh, seated on it. And from, the presence, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. The death and then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
And then again in Revelation 21, starting in verse 5, it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said to me, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And, and he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers... Oh, I lost my spot. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly and the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers and the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And so I just wanted to read these, and in each one of those you can see um, this idea of our actions being important. Uh, and, and how we need to uh, be sure that we have uh, active and living faith. That's, again, the take-home message uh, of the day, I think, is that for faith to be living, it has to involve obedience and doing the things that God says.